Today is the day when we celebrate the command Jesus made, commanding us to observe the Eucharist. There's a strong sense of Eucharistic theology in our liturgy tonight. It's in our prayers, in our hymns, in our readings. Of course, as our guest preacher, David Bartlett, pointed out this afternoon, there's no mention of this particular command in the gospel assigned to us this year. However, we do have the command in the epistle. The Apostle Paul recorded the words of institution in his first letter to the Corinthians, the earliest written account we have of what happened on the night our Savior was handed over to suffering and death. Not so in the gospel, not today's gospel. We have no words of institution at all, no Eucharistic prayer or action Instead, we have a scene from the Last Supper in which Jesus, as an act of loving and humble service, washes the feet of his disciples before giving the command to do likewise. And then he reinforces this command, saying to his disciples, love one another as he loved them. Jesus isn't talking about love so much as an emotion here, rather love as action. In other words, he's saying, don't just say you love someone. Show that person your love through service. How can we sustain this life of service? How can we sustain a life of serving each other when sometimes we can't even stand each other? How can we get past our own baggage, our own difficulties, and continue this life of serving, of loving others through serving? Perhaps... This is why Jesus wanted us to celebrate the Eucharist. The Eucharist is rooted in the Last Supper, which we have come to understand as a Passover meal. And the Passover is a remembrance of the Exodus story. The Jews celebrate Passover as a way to remember their past. God is thanked not only for the meal, but for all of God's benefits to God's people especially the deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt. And recalling this past allows those in the present to participate in that story. The story of their ancestors becomes their own story. And there's a sense of unity and fellowship with each other in the present as well as a unity with their ancestors. This remembrance meal, though a command of God's, was a gift, really, so that the people of God would stay connected to God. And tonight, we have Jesus breaking the bread and pouring the wine and making the command, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Like the Passover meal, this is more than a simple recollection We become part of the story, and we become united with each other and our ancestors. Like Passover, we have a command which keeps us connected to God. We stay connected to God through Christ in the Eucharist. Now, there's been much made of the Eucharist and Eucharistic theology throughout the history of Christendom. Some people believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, which is a fancy word that scares a lot of people. 
Essentially, this doctrine says that the bread and wine, although they look like bread and wine, really become the body and blood through a mystical process in the Eucharistic prayer. And so when we're having communion, we're really eating the body and drinking the blood of, of Christ, the real body and the real blood of Christ. And, and while this was born out of some really solid thinking, it led to all sorts of wild superstitions of people wanting to take this and, and use it for a power to plant it into their crops and, and grow crops and gives them some sort of special power. And he had all sorts of wild speculative thoughts throughout medieval history over transubstantiation. The opposite of that is the theory that the Eucharist is only a memorial meal. It's nothing more than bread and wine. It's no more mystical than a covered dish meal. Or as our rector put it so nicely to me, the meaning is no more deep than a Civil War reenactment. The bread and wine are mere symbols, nothing more. Now, there are other doctrines such as consubstantiation, transsignification, receptionism, all kinds of theories. And they're always being asserted over and against these other theories. And so for centuries, people have tried to unlock this mystery and solve the insolvable and win an argument about the Eucharist. Now, many Episcopalians have stopped trying to solve this. Most Episcopalians believe in what is called real presence. We believe that Christ is present in the meal. Is present in the meal. We just don't know how. In other words, if you want to go on with your theory about transubstantiation, go right ahead. You want to align with some other doctrine, that's okay too. Maybe not so much the covered dish meal. The point is, there's a mystery there. Perhaps the only thing that matters is that we have somehow and in some way a real connection to Jesus Christ through the Eucharist. There's a real presence of Christ in the meal that gives us the connection we need in which we experience the love of God through this presence of Christ. And there's a real power in that presence. And we need that power. It sustains us in our life. It sustains us in our community together. It heals divisions. Jesus gave us the command to serve and to love one another. And these commands are intertwined because out of our love, we continue to serve, and it's out of our love that we forget who ranks ahead of who. We lose a sense of hierarchy and become true neighbors, true community, true disciples. Perhaps Jesus gave us this Eucharist so Christ could help us keep those commands to serve and to love one another so we can be less hierarchical, less anxious, more loving towards each other. Christ is present in the bread and the wine, the body and blood, pouring out the love of God, serving us, sustaining us, nurturing us, and nourishing us. How is Christ present in the meal? I don't know. But if we believe what we hear in the Gospels, in Paul's letters, in the story of our forebears, then we can believe that in the Eucharist, 
we do more than merely remember Christ. We become part of the story. We become God's chosen people. And Christ empties himself, pours out God's love on us all out of obedience to God, even tonight. Even though Jesus knows that tonight humanity betrayed him already. Even though he knows that humanity will continue to betray him after he is handed over to the powers and principalities of darkness, Jesus loves us to the end. And we are forgiven for our betrayal, even on this night when all is stripped bare. Even on this night, we will be strengthened in love, given reconciliation, given sustenance to carry out the mission of Christ to love and serve. We're given hope for the future. Jesus gives us this command to remember him so we might be united to Christ, experience the love of Christ, and participate in the work of Christ.